Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at uh1.com. Earwolf is the new home for the cult radio favorite Dr. Game Show. In each episode, hosts Joe Firestone and Manolo Moreno play listener-created games with comedian guests and listener Collins. Guests include Chris Gethard, Sashir Zamata, Tom Sharpling, and Aparna Nanchurla. Want to be on the show? Submit your game show ideas to drgameshow.com and follow Dr. Game Show on Facebook and Twitter to know when you can play along live. Dr. Game Show was a James Bond villain. He was probably my favorite of the Bond villains because all he wanted was exclusive broadcast rights for game shows in China for 100 years. Check out new episodes of Dr. Game Show every Wednesday wherever you listen, like Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or Earwolf.com. Or the Carver Podcast Network. Not a real thing. Man and Man and Man Podcast. This is The Deal. My name's Matt Gorley. And my name's Matt Myra, coming to you on a Sennheiser 845, and we are here to discuss a movie that never even happened. That's what's the best part. We're going to discuss the third potential Timothy Dalton film that apparently there is a copious record of, including a, a meaty plot synopsis, the rumors, the pre-production notes, and all this stuff. So we're going to talk about the film that could have been but never was. Some of the meatiest notes I've ever seen on a, on a never was film. So since, meaty that it was the hard. the Terry Gilliam Don Quixote movie. <laughs> oh, yeah. These are so meaty that it was hard to get through them all in time. So we're going to do our best to go through them beat by beat. But we're not going to do it alone. Because look at these just wonderful looking look, gentlemen listeners. we have here today. First of all, joining us again because he's just often over here doing shit. Mark McConville. Hello, everyone. I'm your resident non-James Bond non-expert. <laughs> We, we need a representative of the everyman. I'm your everyman. I'm the guy who's not going to know much about the stuff. Yeah, and yeah. at any time during this discussion, if you need to go, hold on, yeah. I don't understand, and I'm a normal person. You listeners are going to need me on this one, I feel. The audience yes, will back that's up right. a little bit. And that sonorous voice you hear right there is Chris Klimek. Hi. Chris, you're joining us all the way from Virginia, even though you're here tonight. That's, that's right. In town for some for some visits, some family, but also some family business, podcasting, and we're glad that you could stop by here tonight. I'm honored to be here. That's well, awesome. we're honored to have you. And Mark, I guess you're here too. Yeah, <laughs> I live out back. <laughs> Chris, you actually reviewed the um, Becoming Bond documentary. Yeah, NPR, yeah, I right? did. Um, yeah, one of my many jobs is uh, writing about movies for for NPR, and um, wrote about that one. I wrote about Spectre when that came out. At the time Spectre was released, I did a big uh, feature for the Atlantic about the the history of the uh, the fictitious uh, crime conspiracy Spectre and the whole. Um, 
you know, Eon Productions uh, lawsuits and oh, the, yeah. the um, Kevin McClory matter, which you all have discussed. So in great detail here. So you did a history of the actual crime syndicate, the fake crime syndicate. Yes, that's beautiful. Uh, a, a history of failed acronyms. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna. <laughs> why? Why is it so hard to find something that starts with P but sounds sinister? Why do the S and the P have to share one word? Yeah. When yeah, you it's ridiculous. Do you, Mark, do you know what it stands for? What? Well, that's the problem. What, what as, stands as for? As much as we Spectre? love James Bond, we always struggle to get <laughs> through right, this because on. the it's so not memorable. Special, Special executive. Counter-terror, counterterrorism, counter-terrorism revenge, and revenge, and extortion. And extortion. Okay. The, you know what? I was thinking when we, we got into this that this was like, um, I was trying to do the acronym for SHIELD. I don't. I don't think Shield actually stands for anything in the Marvel universe anymore. Sure. But uh-huh. like the the uh, the L and the D in Shield originally was for Law Enforcement Division, suggesting that there were other divisions. Like there were other. Like there was Shelf and Shellfish <laughs> and like other acronyms that would do something else besides Shelly. enforcing laws. Shield and Sheep. So I'm not but surprised they got rid of it. Spectre should really have a small P. Yeah, it should mm-hmm. absolutely. You're. Well, 100% right. You know, I, I, for years, I've been trying to convince the mothers against drunk driving that there's, there's only one D in MAD, and you, you can't tell those ladies anything. <laughs> so Fools we're going to take a look at this thing tonight. We're actually going to dreamcast it from, I believe, we're going to try to choose actors significant to that era. We're yeah. going to use a Sega dreamcast. That That's right. Which would have been era-specific, kind of. At that point. Sort of. Maybe basically. When did the Dreamcast come out? I'm gonna I feel go. Like that was 2000. Oh, it's man. in the 2000s. Oh really? Yeah. Oh, so I'm. This is more 99. like late Master System. No, late um, Genesis. I believe you'd have. Yeah, you'd have a Genesis on your hands at this point. Uh, yeah, I was a Sega Master System guy. I did not go Nintendo. I went Sega. I don't know why, but I did. I think we, I like the look Genesis of the man. console better. Oh, you went by the pure aesthetic of the physical object and not the gameplay yes. or controls. Yes. I, I get it. Of course I did. I get it. We're, we're sitting in living proof of that. This might not be the most comfortable room in the world, but it sure is the best looking. I'm sorry. Can I fluff your pillows? I, I'm quite could comfortable. You, could you? Well, there's always part of me that, you know, weighing, weighing over 230, I, I, I was worried that I'm going to lean back and you just shatter You can lean back. I'm confident that will, that will hold you. No, I don't want to do it. <laughs> this is a thing we shan't test. Okay. So let's let's start with this thing. All right. First of all, well, hang on. I'd like to hear your thoughts on becoming Bond. Brief. Oh, right. Sorry. Uh, well, I was a little a little disappointed that Mr. Gorley wasn't wasn't cast as young George Lazenby. You were nice uh, enough to that, say that. That, that, that was in the uh, review. A, yeah. You know. I mean, it's it's a shame you were unavailable. <laughs> he does. He does. I mean, you would have been great, but the guy they had playing him was just looked so much oh, better boy. than Matt without his shirt. He was very funny, and uh, it would be uh, a real tribute to him if I knew what his name is. Matt, if you could put a shirt on tonight, it'd be great. Not going to do it. <laughs> Not going to do it. I thing. think that guy was fantastic, and I appreciate you saying that. I don't think I could have done that. I, I think he's, he, he was did. a genuine Australian. Yes, right? he was. Which is a, yeah, and I mean, that's a, that's a real coup, because you don't find a lot of Australians right. who are movie actors. And I can do an Australian accent, but it is... It's Paul Hogan, and it's... And no one... I mean, it's been a long time since Crocodile Dundee. You know, when, right. when is Australia going to start contributing Yahoo to Yahoo Serious, and that's it, right? I, yeah. 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 Remember Yahoo there, Series? There, there, there's there's a great movie oh, yeah. trade deficit. <laughs> my Australian accent is so over the top that it would have never been believable. Let's hear it. Ask me to pass you this glass of water. Hilar, <laughs> can you pass me that glass of water, please? I'm James Bond. 
<laughs> Do you want a wallaby burger? Oh, no. <laughs> Stick just... with it. Yep. You'll get there. I'd like a martini shake and not style. <laughs> 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 well, you're adding a lot of H's. In are you this. an Australian robot? Hello, I'm an Australian <laughs> robot. You can totally trust me as a human sentient being. There is something else I want to mention too. That this was sent to us. This idea was proposed to us by someone with the most British name. Oh, let's hear it. Bennett Hasty. <laughs> I'll take two. And he actually, <laughs> credit where credit is due, he sent this to us and said that this was mentioned on uh, the Bond and Beyond podcast. So by all means, go listen to that as well. We we send full credit to them and to Bennett for sending this in, this idea. So it's in no way an original idea. I mean, I'm I have sure plausible probably... deniability. This is the first I'm hearing that it was on another podcast. All right, well, well, as the, the journalist in the room, I do feel like I have to ask if we know anything about the, the provenance of this this document. <laughs> Oh, that's a good question. You mean like how it was resourced and stuff? Yes. Yeah, so, we found this yes. On the do, do we do we consider this credible? Is this just this a good looking book report? No, no, because I've <laughs> I've been a frequent visitor. This is all on mi6-hq.com and they always like they never report mm-hmm. anything until it is confirmed, all the rumors and everything like well, that. that is, so that is a relief to me. I I feel Pretty good. They have a good track record as far as your Bond news goes. Yeah, if anything, they're behind the ball because they wait for total confirmation until they Mm. report, I think. Or like what we did, which was just willy-nilly shout-out news that then got picked up by some weird British tabloid. (laughs) Yeah, we're the, I mean, we're essentially the Fox News of the James Bond world. (laughs) <laughs> oh no! I know that's something we gotta. We're gonna have to, to oh, better, yeah. sort that out. I'm trying to remember the name of the Jonathan Price character from Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, and I always want to call him Elliot Raymond. Carver. Yeah, come okay, on, so bro. Not, not Raymond Carver. Who is, I always <laughs> want what we talk about when we talk about Tomorrow Never Dies. Uh, <laughs> exclusive broadcast rights in China for the next hundred years. Hundred. That's why he's starting a war. Anyway, all right. Should we get into this? We should also mention it's late at night. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> It's it's later on the East Coast than on this. That's one. right. You must be tired. How dare you? <laughs> Matt is always working, so he takes these little holes in his schedule to come out here, and it's a late night thing. And I'm so, sorry that we have to do it, but we only have two more weeks of having to do it this late. And then we'll get back and to Saturday. Saturday mornings. Oh, my that's nice. Yeah, that's it's nice. It's gonna be real relaxing for some of us. <laughs> All right. The year is nineteen ninety. Bond 17 is just beginning pre-production, and Timothy Dalton is set to return for his third James Bond picture. Despite the lackluster performance of The 16th Adventure, which was last week's film we covered, License to Kill. Marker, do you remember that movie at all? San Francisco? <laughs> Does it happen in San Francisco? Mark McConville representing the audience. <laughs> what are the, Florida and, and the fictional city of Isthmus City. Florida, yeah, and the fictional city of Isthmus City, yeah, in Florida, or is it somewhere else? No, it's Central America, I think. Okay, yeah. And what's his other movie that he did for for the The James Living Bonds? Daylights? Yeah, that one's in San Francisco. No, no. Nope. Which one's on the Golden Gate Bridge? Or the View to a Kill? Yeah, yeah. And it was so mostly not... in the furthest <laughs> southern point of Florida, Key West. Key that's West, right. yeah. yeah. Yes, the southernmost point in the continental United States. I'm not okay, a total so, dumb. No, you're here for geography. Okay. Yeah, maybe. In May, 
of 1990, a 17-page treatment by newcomer screenwriter Alphonse M. Ruggiero Jr. That's made up for sure and an alias yeah. for someone. I thought that was the name of the guy who played Carlton on The Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. <laughs> That's pretty close to that. It's very close. This has got to be an alias for like... You think it's an anagram? Oh, it could be. Or I'm thinking it's like, um, like Dalton himself. Or something. <laughs> I'm going to write. Uh, along with Bond veteran Michael G. Wilson, this script was drafted with a tentative shooting date set and arranged to begin in Hong Kong and with the aim of a late 1991 release. Now, here's where it starts to get interesting. Hmm. Richard Maybaum, who was the, the frequent collaborator with Michael Wilson up to that point, and director John Glenn do not return to work on Bond 17, both leaving Eon on, quote, amicable terms in August 1990, despite trade press reports of a bloodless coup. Bloodless coup also, sounds this, amicable. Mm-hmm. All this <laughs> reports an Eon spokesperson added insult to injury when stating that to Variety that writer Maybaum was a has-been. He has been our writer previously. And then out of context. Yeah. And will be our live writer of the future. Sure. Yeah. yeah. You'd have to be pretty thin-skinned to take offense at that. <laughs> Up first for director replacements, Rambo First Blood director Ted Kotcheff. Sold. <laughs> <laughs> and John Landis. Oh. Sure. I mean, maybe Beverly Hills Cop 3 wouldn't have happened if he had gotten to make Well, then we Dalton wouldn't have had 3. the greatest director cameo of all time when a Mr. George Lucas is cut in line. Unless George Lucas is in the third Timothy Dalton James Bond movie as oh the villain. Oh, my God. And Bond what? has to stop him from making the prequels. What's Landis's qualifications for what is ostensibly an action film? Uh, good question. Well, the Blues Brothers has a lot of car chases in it. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. They love a car chase in a Bond movie. The thriller video. The thriller video is action-packed. I guess he uh, worked on a script treatment for Spy Who Loved Me in the development. Wow. That's what it says here. Yeah. But, you know what? Twilight Zone. You know that part where he killed those people? Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's get him on board a James Bond movie. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe it was an assassination plot. Guess who the screenwriters were initially? Well, didn't you just say Alfonso Ribeiro? No, he was the director. Oh, no, you're right. He was first, but then, sorry. Well, just they brought in somebody else. They replaced this newcomer. Yeah, already replaced. It goes through many permutations. I'm going to guess it's a woman. It's partially a woman. <laughs> oh, really? What? <laughs> yeah. it's, it's a it's duo. It's J.J. Davis. Oh, it's a from, duo. From the yeah. crying game. What uh, screenwriting duo do you know that's a man and a woman? Nichols who, and May. Responsible for the second part oh. of a popular franchise. Oh, I think I think this is going to be a short round. Yes, that's of right. Deliberation. The screenwriters for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. Wachowski brother and sister. No. Okay. Willard. <laughs> they're, they're, both, both, they're both. and Gloria, Gloria Katz. Shooting was to start in 1999, and then Did they both transitioned. Uh, the Wachowskis, yes. Yeah. Oh my God, good for them. I mean, if they're happy, go for it. <laughs> Weird side. Yeah. No, and I just wasn't up to date on the Wachowski. I didn't know uh, the, the, Whereas Willard Huck and Gloria Katz just traded genders. Sure. It's uh, <laughs> the gender need to just spice up the relationship. So litigation delays happened. Delays and, with McClory, right? Uh, MGM Creative Affairs VP Elizabeth Robinson announced in Variety that work on the 17th 007 movie had resumed after they put it on hold for around three years during the litigation. Wait, hold on. 
Years. Oh, this is when Cubby Broccoli was suing them because they were selling off MGM and they were not going to give a fair distribution right price to the Bond franchise. Okay. That's, that's exactly what this mm. was. And I've that, decided. So Dalton's contract expires in 93, and at this point it gets to be around 94, and he's not coming back. He decides to do what his hairline is doing. Hold on. Why are you why are you getting on his hairline? Step back. <laughs> yes. So his contract runs out and they just say we're not going to re up it. No, he walks away. He did. Yeah, according to this, when Dalton's contract officially expired in 1993, which was originally planned to be the year of his fourth film, the actor bowed out from the role gracefully in 1994. Dalton had read Francis' screenplay for Bond 17 whilst filming Scarlet. Mm-hmm. It was there that Dalton made and subsequently announced his decision to walk away. This saved Broccoli, who was reportedly under pressure from MGM from having to fire the actor. Hmm. So I wonder how much of that is him knowing that that's swirling. Maybe. And him deciding. And get this. When Schwarzenegger's 007-style film True Lies hit screens, great. it undid any plans to fast-track Bond 17 production. Many of the action sequences in France's script were too similar, so most of the screenplay had to go back to square one. I keep mentioning France, but I skipped that part. True Lies? Michael yeah. France. True Lies has a, a ton of Florida stuff in it, more than right. more than Living Daylight. Yeah. Or, I mean, well, Wait, this is... True Lies resembled the new, the unmade film. Yeah. Well, what they're Screen saying play, is obviously right. they were going to do an action set piece with a Harrier jet. They were going to knock some dogs uh, together in the head and then show <laughs> yeah. them getting up. Because yeah. yes. They were going to use dogs. racial stereotypes as terrorists. They were going to have uh, a horse chasing a motorcycle through Washington, D.C. into the Weston Bonaventure Hotel. Which Jamie is not in Curtis was going to do a soft core strip tease. Uh, Tom Arnold's going to wisecrack. Yeah. Oh, he's probably it's the greatest performance of any human being on any film. Check out I Was There Too for Tom Arnold's take on True Lies. <laughs> Did you do that too? Yeah. God damn it. Oh, I listened to I that I should one. listen to your Where podcast. You it's really good. You don't care. The, I do, well, but my problem is that everything's behind Stitcher Premium. Use the promo code not, BOND30. Yeah, please. Mm-hmm. Nice plug. The rumors about Bond 17. Are you ready for these guys? Uh, let's, let's hear a rumor. I'm not sure if I am. <laughs> they involve Anthony Hop. And Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> Dreamcast. Yes. That's the name of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> the only known piece of Bond 17 promotional material was on show when the Carlton Hotel was transformed with a hoarding announcement. At, what's hoarding, excuse me? Announcement. hoarding announcing Dalton's third film during the 1990 Cannes Film Festival. The banner read, Timothy Dalton returns as 007 in the 17th James Bond film, Coming Summer 91, with a smaller caption under Dalton's pose stating, the most successful series in motion picture continues. To view a photo taken by Kay Collette of the Carlton Hotel Bond 17 frontage, <laughs> visit this link. This page cannot be found. This uh, this sounds insufficiently grand for, for Bond. <laughs> ridiculous. <laughs> oh, man. Anthony Hopkins was rumored to be interested in playing an, in, quote, intelligent villain. Hopkins mm. and Dalton were friends and debuted in the same film together, Lion and Winter. That's the first play I was ever in. Hopkins would also be rumored as villain for subsequent James Bond films, including Tomorrow Never Dies. Oh, which the actor turned down due to the state of script rewrites. Well, I get it. Mm. I get it. You made a huge mistake, Mr. Hopkins. Sir Anthony Hopkins. It's okay. He got to do uh, 
Francis Ford Coppola's Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, yeah. And he's, yeah. he's great in that. Yeah, I agree. Whoopi Goldberg was repeatedly reported as being interested in playing a villainous. The American actress was dating Dalton at the time. I did not remember that. Hmm. Did you guys know that? I thought she was I all sure about Ted Danson. No treble. <laughs> <laughs> she only dates men with TD names. Timothy Dalton. Ted Danson. Ted Danson. And Tom, Tom Dobson. <laughs> It's just a guy who, who could forget Tom Dobson. Time Daly. He worked at the gas station. Time Daly. Yeah. Uh, and Travis Dickel. Travis Dickel, did you say? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just wanted to make sure. From, From Taxi Diver. Taxi Driver. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. And then Goldeneye comes along. Bum, bum, bum. Wait, yeah. check this out. Walt wow. Disney's Imagineering Division originally called was... "Along Comes Goldeneye." <laughs> Walt Disney's Imagineering Division was contracted to supply designs for the high-tech robots that featured in the early screenplays. Form was to follow function according to the treatment, so they would not have necessarily been robots in humanoid form. See, we're going to get to the plot synopsis, but okay. I'm curious to hear what sure. that's all about. And maybe maybe Disney will end up owning the the Bond franchise in a probably you know, next I gotta tell few you, months. Uh, here. That worries me, but also tantalizes me. Sure. Paves the way for your Marvel Star Wars Bond crossover. Which is something no one's wanted. But. <laughs> <laughs> no. Yes. Vancouver was to play a major location in the film as Who's well. Who's he? <laughs> <laughs> you know my buddy Vancouver? <laughs> Australia Van was Wilder's also touted. Friend, Vancouver. Yeah, right. <laughs> Australia and Vancouver. The Bond has never been to Australia or Canada. Oh, I cannot wait for the next one. Yeah, everyone wants to see a Bond film where he goes to Montreal. I know, but I feel like they're trying to check off the boxes of the places he hasn't been there. Okay. Do you want to hear the synopsis of this film? I can't wait. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> this episode. I apologize, Chris. You had to come here on this evening with the three of us in the shape we're in. All right. MI6 receives a letter threatening the destruction of a secret government lab in Scotland. Matt, you're not even paying attention. I'm actually trying to find the link so I can read along with you, which I have just opened. Okay. <laughs> MI6 receives a letter threatening the destruction of a secret government lab in Scotland. A week later, with no further contract or ransom demands, the lab is mysteriously destroyed. James Bond is dispatched by MI6 under the guidance of Nigel Yupland. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to cast Nigel yep. Yupland. He's I've the Minister it. of Defense, <laughs> Nigel Yupland. Yeah. To assess the threat, following his only lead, Bond tracks down master thief Connie Webb and discovers her sinister dealings with Cajone Industries. Cajone <laughs> yeah. Industries? <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that's there, though, because I sure don't get the innuendo with Connie Webb. Spell it. <laughs> Which one? Cajoni. K-O-H-O-N-I. Oh, okay. Yeah. How do you spell Cajones? <laughs> Kate Jones. <laughs> C-A-J-A. Yeah. They're going for, like, the double entendre in the corporate bad name, but not the girl. Connie Webb. I kind of like that. I think yeah. that's interesting. You know, yeah. they, they seem to, through the whole Dalton era, they seem to be uh, sort of 
at a cross purposes, whether they were, because in the living daylights, as you pointed out, he is suddenly sort of monogamous. Right. Uh, and then, you know, he's back to being a little bit condescending in uh, License to Kill. Yeah. Um, but I think that would be, I, I would welcome that if we, if we, you know, export the innuendo to something else, to like a villain name, right, to, yeah. uh, to a fake corporation name. The girls have carried that. that burden far too long. I agree. Bond journeys to Japan to offer Connie the chance to broker a deal and sell a high-tech computer chip to her contacts. Escaping from certain death at the hands of twin assassins, the Cajoni brothers. Yeah, I like it. I like yeah. it. Okay. Bond pursues Connie to Hong Kong. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they, they really put these double entendres everywhere. To Hong Kong to meet with her buyers. Yeah, Hong Kong is a hilarious place name. That, that suggests all kinds of... Uh... <laughs> Dirty stuff. Aided by veteran agent Denholm Crisp and Q, Bond... Denholm Yeah. <laughs> That's like taking Quentin Crisp and Denholm Elliott. That's pretty lazy, I think. Bond must learn the true nature of Sir Henry Lee Ching's scheme, escape a Yakuza assassin, and deal with the Chinese Secret Service. After witnessing the aftermath of a nuclear meltdown in China caused by Sir Henry, Bond must stop him at all costs before he launches many more attacks, causing global pandemonium and sparking World War III. So that synopsis doesn't make any sense to me. Does it? To you guys? I was, I was with it the whole time. That was more yeah. detailed than any synopsis should ever be. And it's going to get a lot more detailed, because mm-hmm. that's the mini-synopsis. They have this broken down by acts. So... Here's what I'm trying to gather. There, well, the mission is clearer, right? The mission briefing they give you, which is after terrorists target a Scottish nuclear facility, 007 is deployed to the Far East to investigate prolific businessman Sir Henry Lee Ching. In Hong Kong, James Bond rendezvous with retiring spy Denim Crisp crosses paths with the Chinese Secret Service and teams up with jewel smuggler Connie Webb to get to the bottom of Ching's shady past and prevent global pandemonium that could spark World War Three. Where are you getting that one? It's on the page you sent me, bro. Mm. Oh, yeah, bro. Yeah. Come on, bro. Hey, bro. Bro. Don't bro me. Bro. Bro. Don't bro me. Bro. Okay. Broseph? I'll take that. Bro, Ram, broken. So what do you guys think of that plot? Well, I mean, it's your t- it's your typical James <sighs> Bond plot in which you're trying to prevent sure. World War Three. Right. Yeah. There's a nuclear facility involved, which is something we uh, get from Bonds here and there, but mostly it's missiles and not just you know still fetishizing microchips on. from just, uh, yes. only only six years after the yeah. robotics of it. I think if they're anywhere close to FX two, I'm deadly sure art that's evolution. what they're shooting for. Yeah. I mean, then that's going to be very cool. Right. Well, every, every, it was kind of a race to see who could appropriate stuff from FX2 the fastest <laughs> through most of 91. I mean, when that clown but, fights, uh, yeah. it's just... When James exactly. Cameron saw yeah. that movie, he was like, holy shit. Is Brian Dennehy in that one as well? He sure yes, is. He I is. think that's why they put Joe Don Baker in these Bond films, <laughs> is like a poor wow. man's Brian Dennehy. So, so are, are we going to start uh, staffing up this thing? Because I, I don't know. I don't know that, that we could do the, the, the I detailed checked, synopsis. Before we do that, yeah. I checked... 
all the way out during that situation. Yeah, it was <laughs> the worst thing I've ever heard in my life. Really? Yeah. Well, let me... Let me... I, I think the movie should start with a Phantom Menace-style title crawl with just that text as you, you just, <laughs> just read jump it. In. Okay. Yeah. Let me give you the in. cold Bond open, is mitigating a trade dispute. All right, hold on. Where is that? There's a cold open? Yeah, there's a synopsis of the cold open. This huh? could take Is it as long as the... <laughs> yeah. This is going to be longer than the one in... Uh, I mean, the act breakdown Brosnan is... 3. Yes. The act breakdown is it's not very ridiculously long. detailed. Led by the Minister of Defense, Nigel Yuppland, <laughs> a bomb squad searches a chemical weapons factory. All appears to be normal. However, in a lab where computer-driven devices perform tasks too risky for humans, one of the machines goes haywire and soon bursts into flames. Outside, the bomb squad duck for cover as the factory <laughs> So it's a factory. They go to a factory with yeah. our machines performing tasks. That's there's got to be a something fire. missing here. <laughs> but something besides the factory fire? Well, it's the, it's so here's what I've gathered from your everything you've read so far. This 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 guy that is what is his name? The Minister of Defense, Nigel Yupland. Nigel Yupland. <laughs> yeah, let me give you a is he's experimenting with sure. robots mm-hmm. that can go into places that humans can't and do dangerous tasks, okay? So one of these robots is sabotaged when they're going into this chemical plant to mm-hmm. defuse a bomb that they normally wouldn't send human beings into. And now Johnny Five is alive. Right. Yeah. Now yeah. when this sabotaged robot starts to go haywire, bursts into flames, it actually sets off the explosion that they were trying to prevent in the first place. Got it. Right. Okay. All right, let me describe Nigel Yuplin's character. <laughs> okay, this I am way on board with. Do right. it. A career-focused man, Yupland has quickly ascended in rank to Minister of Defense at MI5. Mm. He has the confidence of the British Prime Minister and no love for the 00 section and would like to see nothing more than it shut down. So this Hence, is and Andrew, and what's think, his name, Inspector? Yeah, the yeah. Denby character. But instead yeah. of surveillance, his move is robots. Right. Sir who now? <laughs> so who would play Nigel Yupland? Bill Nighy. Mm. James Fox. Well, you're looking at... Bill someone, Nighy would be good. He'd be good, but I don't think a Maybe Bill Nighy could ascend the ranks that... You know what I mean? You, Bill Nighy, even in 1991, is a man of a reasonable age to be the Minister of Defense, right? So you need a young... Kind of a younger, oh, a younger hotshot. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. With a name like Nigel Yupland, that implies to me Minister Yupland. Right. Yeah, but well, the rest okay. Of so, it so is, is is Nigel Yupland older or is Denholm Crisp older? Because it also oh, Denholm Crisp, Crisp is, is, is retired, near right? retirement. Okay. Well, here that I got an answer for that. Denholm Crisp, a veteran agent who is verging on retirement, resides in Japan and mm. is old friends with Q. Well, you know who Denholm Crisp should be? Albert Finney. <laughs> Well, he was too young back then. That was like Miller's Crossing era. How old do you think agents have to be? I think they could take an early retirement plan, right? Do you want an older, older guy like a Sean Connery? Well, if he's friends with Q, I mean, Q's in... Sean Connery would be good. Hmm. I think you get... uh, Honestly, I think you get um, Denholm Elliott to play Denholm Crisp. Imagine him and Desmond Llewellyn. He's Marcus Brody from... Indiana sure. Jones. Yeah. You remember that guy? Got lost. I've seen a museum. James Bond movie, Matt. <laughs> well, he's not in James Bond. <laughs> have you, have you seen James Bond and the Crystal Skull? Desmond Skelly? Llewellyn. Yes, but is. then, but I'm saying Denholm Elliott should play Denholm Crisp, and he's the guy from Indiana Jones. Too many D's. <laughs> 
<laughs> this episode is fucked. Well, I think the... <laughs> I got you. I do know what you mean. Imagine the comedic duo of those two. I would see them. Uh, no, I'm alone. I, would, I love him, and I I would say yes to that. Desmond Llewellyn and 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 what's his name? Brody Denholm Chris. in uh, Indiana Jones. Marcus Brody. Marcus Brody. Yeah. I would watch that all day. Chris, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I I like Richard E. Grant. I love I Richard. I think he Grant. might be. He what might about be a little him too, for like, Nigel This is, this is uh, yeah, okay. This like is Hudson that. Hawk era. It is. It sure is. And I, I think you could just cast all of Dalton Bond three with the Hudson Hawk cast. You're right. Be fine with me. Put James Coburn in there. Oh, hell yeah, James Coburn. You're. Uh, I, Danny Aiello is uh, <laughs> Felix Leiter. Is Felix? Yes. Um, Richard Andy E. McDowell. Grant as Nigel Yupland. I don't think you could do better than that. I wouldn't have thought about that. That's that's yeah, good. With nailing him. Yeah. Okay. Connie Webb, a retired Olympic skier. and Well, that's new detail. <laughs> in her early 30s, she is the daughter of a world-famous thief. This American adventuress also takes after her father's line of work and is occasionally used by the CIA to steal unobtainable items. Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> She's Wait, the daughter she... of world-famous cat burglar Hudson Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> Who plays this role? Early 30s... In 1990, 91. Is this, is this your prototypical Bond girl? Mm. Uma Thurman is like yes. 20. This, this is the Bond yeah, girl mm-hmm. of this movie. Yes. She's American. But yeah, I, th- I think Uma Thurman's too young at this point. What year is this coming out? 90, <laughs> 91. Well, with the legal stuff, though, maybe 94, which is Pulp Fiction. Uma Thurman. Right? Is she so that's, 30 that's, in that? That's her second act already. I'm just saying. Hmm. Well, is the is the maybe the better question who never got to be a Bond girl that should have that should have is this the slot where you fill that? Yeah. Hmm. Just looking at the question from a different angle, man. I like the idea of it being an actual American. I like where your head's at. Is it who looks like a skier? Jennifer Gray. <laughs> Um, I'm looking for a name 1990 so what were the big films in 90 and 91 alright well uh, 91 was the year of Terminator 2 okay so this this is like like my sort of uh, coming out as a movie nerd 91 is the first summer when I know the release date of everything yeah counting the days I think mine is 89 Okay. Well, eighty nine was a big one. Eighty nine was a. I actually, if I can, if I can, eighty nine was go a great on a tangent year. here. Please. I was in line to uh, the the first movie that I ever like went the day of release to buy tickets for the night show because I was afraid it was going to sell out. Was uh, the Burton Batman? Oh 89. yeah, yeah. So my Me friends too, and I are I standing in line the morning of the Friday, uh, June twenty third, I think, and. Um, there's this stunt, this uh, where a couple of guys drive up in a jeep, like one of those open top military jeeps with a big star on the hood, and one of them leaps out and uh, starts shouting, and then a helicopter lands. This this really happened. Um, this is in a mall parking lot, and it's one of those like Korean War era bubble top open side helicopters, like you see in the opening credits of Mash, Mash yeah. and they are firing presumably blanks what? at this this helicopter as it lands, and then a guy, some like generic looking dude uh, in a tuxedo, jumps out of the the helicopter. You know, fake shoots the two guys who are in the jeep, and then announces that License to Kill is coming 
to this theater, July, whatever. And oh we were all there in our Batman t-shirts with our, our mouths hanging open. What? I swear this really happened. I don't think I hallucinated this. This I've never heard of yeah, anything like this. What theater was this? Uh, this was at the Fair Oaks Mall in uh, Fairfax, Virginia, right off of Route 50. It's it hasn't what been a movie theater in a long time. What guerrilla marketing was this? Was it the theater that put this together? I Did the theater just I mean, know? I don't know. What does it cost to rent guys? a helicopter? Was there cameras there to film it? In I Virginia, don't. I don't remember nothing. any cameras. Wow. Have you ever looked for this on YouTube? Have you searched for it on the internet? <sighs> License to kill promotional stunt. Boy, nineteen. You know, I'm casting all kinds of aspersions on the provenance of this this leaked plot synopsis, and meanwhile. <laughs> I'm I'm giving you uh, a recollection that this might be a, a Blade Runner memory implant. That, uh, but I love <laughs> that License to Kill had the balls. To yeah. Go well, like, that was hey the... Batman. We're gonna steal your thunder here a little bit. Yeah. But I mean, that was like that was the summer Lethal Weapon two. Lethal and... Weapon two. Glass Crusades. Yeah. And so many like like there two, were right? yeah there were too many like I never saw License to Kill in the theater. Living Daylights was the first one I saw in the theater. But I didn't get around to License to Kill. I didn't get around to Star Trek five. I didn't. Uh, that was you know, a there was just too much. Huge summer. Yeah. Huge. Yeah. Do you remember that summer, Mark? I wasn't born yet. <laughs> uh, Lethal Weapon brings up someone for the Connie Webb. Oh, is it Patsy Kensett? Renee Russo? Renee Russo. Oh. Uh, she doesn't right. show up till Lethal Weapon 3, but that, that doesn't oh. matter. But I was just but seeing still, the franchise. Sure. No, I yeah, like yeah, it. I really like her. Like a Rene I, really, Russo. I enjoy mm. her opposite to uh, James Bond, Pierce Brosnan in the Thomas Crown Affair yeah. Redux. Mm. The best James Bond movie Pierce Brosnan See. ever did. Uh, 89, though, was huge. It was the biggest year of movies ever, if you ask me. You got yourself your, your, your Look Who's Talkings. Mm-hmm. You know, that was 89. Sure. Mm-hmm. Driving Miss Daisy. Back to the Future 2. Last Crusade, the greatest Indiana Jones movie that Matt doesn't agree with me about. I like it. Dead Poets Society. Was Dylan 89? Ted's Excellent Adventure. Oh, I believe so. Field of Dreams. When's Die Hard? Die Hard's 88. Uh, your Christmas Vacations. Oh, that's right. Is this also... Karate Kid? Mm. Lean on no, me? No, 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 no. Karate Kid was 84. This must yeah. be Karate Kid 3. three. Okay. <laughs> still, Sorry, it was a very... Still, so just great. as good a okay. film. So small. Okay, yeah, that's, that's true. The, that is a, it is a small font. That's the one with that Sato, movie. right? The, yeah, the font in all the Karate Kid movies is really tiny, hard to read. Um, no wonder they were kicking each other. What other, what other prospects do we have for Connie Webb here? Well, you could go the <laughs> Michelle Pfeiffer route. I thought about that, too, yeah. 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 You know, but, but I mean, is that uh, just us stealing? Fabulous Baker Bond girl. Well, yeah, but you're also I'm stealing from Catwoman, Selena Kyle. Is That's a true. Cat burglar I, I, I think Batman. Patsy Kensett was a, a good accidental suggestion from, yeah. from Lethal Weapon 2. Mm. I love her. What happened to her? Wasn't she married to one of the guys in Oasis? Yeah, Liam. Liam. I was going to say Liam Neeson. <laughs> <laughs> Liam Neeson from Oasis? Yeah. Liam Gallagher. Yeah. I'll tell you, Noel, Noel Neeson doesn't get cast in those ass-kicking <laughs> geriatric revenge flicks. Okay, let's each pick one person okay. to be Connie. What's her name? Connie? Connie Webb. And then we will vote. I just need a second, though. To, okay, to well, this. I have my answer right now. And it is it is a, I think, decently aged, at that point, Kim Cattrall. <laughs> oh. Kim Cattrall. Mm, sure. This is, uh, this is before Star Trek VI. So it is I, before I probably Star Trek am not aware of her in 1989, but that's good. Yeah, you don't, I think they tend to go that way with, yeah, the, with yeah. your Bond girls. So I'm saying Kim Cattrall. It's an excellent choice. Hmm. 
Ooh. Mark, you got one? I mean, I like Rene Russo. That's your pick. It's hard for I me to it. steer away from uh, it. Take it. That's your pick. Okay, so she's she's in Major League that year, I think? She is in Major League that year, yes. Hmm. Right. She's I'm totally a, thinking of Bull Durham. Yes, she's yeah, in yeah. Major League. <laughs> <laughs> like Susan Surrender. Yeah, that's she's her. Tom, uh, Tom Bergeron's uh, Bergeron. Tom, Tom Bergeron. <laughs> the host Tom of Hollywood Square. America. Yeah. America. <laughs> this is you. Matlock? I'm gonna go. <laughs> I'm gonna. I'm gonna throw a little left field choice in here. Okay. Lauren Holly. From from Ghostbusters? No. No, from like Dumb and Dumber. Yeah. Oh. But she is she too young at that point? She's probably. I mean, Dumb and Dumber is ninety six. Yeah, and she might be. I can tell you exactly how old she is. Now, I'm not saying that she'd be my top choice, but I'm saying that I think she would be someone... Because, you know, for Bond girls, they tend to pick girls on their career ascension, necessarily. Like, they don't always pick the A-list starlets. They always kind of get someone on the way up, and I think at that point, she probably was. She had done The Adventures of Ford Fairlane, the star-making vehicle. At that point, she's in her late 20s. I think she's right in the zone. Okay. So I think that's someone that they might have picked, like Carrie Lowell in License sure. to Kill was okay. not a household name. Lauren Holly is your pick. Okay. Chris? I'm going to, uh, I wonder if Emma Thompson would, uh, would die in to appear in a Bond film. And you never know. You never know until yeah. you ask. So in a Brit for an American. She could I, certainly I, do it. Yeah, she did it not? in Dead Again let's, right let's around this time. Yeah, I think 91. Dead Again is 91. Yeah. I, I think that's right. So, mm. uh, yeah. Okay. No. Okay, let's let's take our vote here. All right, let's argue pros and cons. I'm just going to go ahead and eliminate Emma Thompson. <laughs> wow, yeah, really? it hurts. I had to do it Boy. because I just I just don't I just don't want to take jobs away from hardworking Americans. Okay, you know. I mean, look, that's, that's if I'm going to vote for anybody for my choice, I'm going to choose her. But I don't know that they would have really. She's a brilliant actress. Oh, yeah. she's the one of the best oh, actresses sure. on the no, planet. No, but I, I can't but I imagine think that's beneath her. Cubby signing oh. off on that. Yeah. Hmm. Okay, Matt. I mean, I personally enjoy my own vote of Kim Cattrall, but if I cannot select my own, if I can't take my own, I'm going to take Renee Russo. I think Kim Cattrall is not doesn't have the cachet that. Wait, okay, so she, well, she had what, been in Big Trouble define, in Little China yeah. by this point, yeah, right? That's 86. Right, but she's also yeah. got Mannequin. What is the cachet? Oh, no, am I thinking of Teresa? Wait, what is, no. wait, I need to understand your, your, your cachet requirement for this role. Because in my mind, all of these Bond women are people that are... Near, very nearly discovered by the Bond franchise. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I so think you're she's saying done she's stuff done that, too much stuff already. Done too much that has not progressed past a certain point for me. Does oh, that make I'm sense? I'm trying to change her career right now. Oh, well, by you By letting her be that. in this movie that doesn't exist. <laughs> see, I see her more as a, like, Priscilla Barnes in License to Kill. She'll play a supporting role or something. Okay. But I'm not saying I'm right. Oh, I'm just I'll saying. I'll I feel like we opinion. didn't. We have not landed on the right person. Because what the thing that keeps sticking in my mind is that this character is an award-winning skier. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Correct. But but keep in mind that they cast uh, Denise Richards as a nuclear physicist. Matt, you've got me there. (laughs) Christmas only comes once a year or something like that. (laughs) No, that's exactly it. Yeah. (laughs) 
All right, I'm looking up biggest actresses in 1991. Oh man. Okay. Well, I think the well the biggest hit Gina in the 90s Davis? was uh, was Ghost, right? So Demi Moore was probably oh, the, the top of the she could the top of the list at that point. Demi Moore, but then again, that's too much cachet. Right. He's right. looking for the top actresses, thusly eliminating his own criteria. Right. Well, so let's, well, let's let's look at who you look at. You got to look at the top, the top actresses, actresses of 1993. Or yes. three. <laughs> what year? Ninety. You know what? We're gonna we're gonna it's we're gonna there. we're so gonna get okay. So we're diff. gonna get to Sandra Bullock eventually because yeah. she blows up with speed in '94. I'm choosing '93. So '91 is when we want to catch Sandra Bullock. '93, your best actress in a leading role are Emma Thompson, Michelle Pfeiffer, <laughs> Susan Sarandon, Mary McDonnell, and Catherine Deneuve. Well, Mary McDonald it is. <laughs> supporting role, Marissa Tomei, Judy Davis, Joan Plowright, Vanessa Redgrave, Miranda Richardson. I'm going to give it to Uma Thurman. <laughs> Honestly. You're she really not yeah. that far off. She would have yeah. been 21 years old, mm-hmm. 22 years old. Right. I buy wow. it. A former Olympic skier. Hmm. Boy, she sure was a convincing swordswoman in those Kill Bill movies. So I think, I think she could. She can do anything. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah, okay, I'm just going to throw out Jessica Tandy. <laughs> All right, we have a new winner. It's Jessica Tandy. Okay, throw Jessica Tandy. Now I'm going to cast Uma Thurman in this, and if anyone disagrees, meet me on Instagram. <laughs> once, once Instagram is invented. Amanda Lund's hilarious podcast miniseries is back for another season on Stitcher Premium. Who's Amanda Lund? Well, she is the greatest wife I've ever known that isn't my own wife. Whose wife is she? Your wife. Well, this time Maribel May wants to plan your wedding. Through the six episodes of The Complete Wedding, Maribel takes you through everything you need to know to have a successful wedding from meeting a man to the wedding night. Guests popping up this season include Maria Blasucci, Mark McConville, me, Gorley, Paul F. Tompkins, and so many more. Let Maribel May plan the best day of your life. Binge The Complete Wedding on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com slash complete and use code BOND for free month of Stitcher Premium. Now look, I'm going to get real with you. Yes, I'm biased. Yes, I worked on this. But I'm taking all of that off the table to tell you this thing is one hilarious podcast. It's six episodes, part of a three-episode series. Four if you count the spinoff, Complete Man, by me. <laughs> Seems like it's six episodes, Matt. You could just sign up for this free month using the promo code BOND and get it all in in that month. You could binge these in a day. This and then great. move right on to any other premium content you want. Like all Super Ego. But anyway, this is really about Amanda's podcast. You're right. How did I turn it about me? Matt and Matt. Matt and Matt. Let's hear some more of these character descriptions. Twin Cajoni brothers. Both brothers are large, well-built men in charge of a vast Japanese industrial empire and have no intention to sell their company. The twins have connections to the Japanese underworld and Yakuza. Hmm. Uh, connections to the Japanese underworld in charge of a large Japanese corporation. Do they need to be Japanese? They are Japanese. Okay. okay. Are they? Well, their name's Cajoni. O-N-I. O-N-I. Cajoni. Uh... I, I expect I know the answer to this, given the the um, great cultural sensitivity that uh, Eon Productions has always shown when casting Asian characters in these films. Um, I got somebody. Go. I believe he is Chinese, not Japanese. Okay. Um, 1991 was also the, the year of the Hong Kong set adventure Double Impact, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Jean-Claude Van Damme mm-hmm, mm-hmm. for oh. precisely 
twice the Van Damage. Yep. The villain was played by the great Bolo Young, who is a big, intimidating martial artist. If you imagine oh, yeah. that, that odd job could do a 360 like spin up. kick. Uh, I like Bolo Young for the Cajoni Brothers. Instead okay. of having two Van Dams playing separate characters on screen, oh, yeah. we take one of the few trends that the Bond films have never appropriated before. Right. One actor playing dual roles, and you get your Bolo Young as the Cajoni Brothers. And you Brothers. really would have expected that in the late 90s after the success of The Nutty Professor. I'm not sure how it didn't happen. Yeah, that may sounds good. May I offer good. my suggestion? Please. You may. Michael and Martin McNamara. <laughs> Are they those like fancy, shitty movie twins? They're... <laughs> They're Canada's kickboxing movie twins. They made two martial arts movies in the late 80s and in 1990. And uh, boy, does this look like a pile of garbage. But come on, they made a movie called Dragon Hunt in 1990. They would have been a hot property. What are their names? Michael and Martin McNamara. The Twin Dragons. They're twins. They're born in Belfast, Ireland, and they were raised in Canada. Nothing says Japanese Yakuza, <laughs> Yakuza business yeah. more than these dudes. Uh, you know, you just—they're the only same five five. <laughs> Wait a minute, they're uh, both five, these five. are not. This is not what I expected. They look like uh, who do they look like? I can't even ex- like um, David Brenner, <laughs> Dan, and Don Stanton. Who's that? Look them up. Okay, okay. No, they're 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 in T two, right? Yes. Is, aren't they like the the asylum guard who <laughs> yes. T thousand kills with the murderous eye yeah. poke? Yeah, that's yeah. exactly right. These how about guys. them? How about them Guinness Book of World Records big huge motorcycle? Oh, yeah. what if they use their bikes as weapons? What about Mary Kate and Ashley Olsen? Why they were they were larval in uh, nineteen ninety one? That's right. Well, it sounds like you're you're correct, Chris. I think we have to go. Bolo Young. Bolo, Bolo is Young. great. Thank you. And are we fantastic. good with Richard Grant as Nigel Yupland? That seems like a no-brainer to me. Yeah, move on right. from that. That's this, great. This, uh, I, I am fully placated for losing Emma Thompson. Okay, and Denholm Crisp, are we good with Denholm Elliott playing that role? <laughs> yes. I mean, it just yeah. I mean, seems we written have to for be, right? Okay, He's yeah. pretty much the best Denholm. All right, next on the list is Otto Winkhart, <laughs> Swiss lawyer who acts as Connie's middleman for fencing highly priced commodities. Swiss, Swiss lawyer. lawyer. No physical description is given other sure. than he's a Swiss lawyer. Yeah. Right. Rucker Hauer. I got a great one. Oh, that's pretty good. Um, I just got to make sure that he's Swiss. Swiss. Please right. talk. Well, okay. if we get Daniel Day-Lewis, he's going to insist on actually going to law school in Switzerland <laughs> and then taking the bar in Geneva. And we just don't have that kind of time. So, what? Uh, how big of a part is this? It doesn't sound major. Hmm. Here's my idea. Yeah. Lyle Lovett. I love it. Wow. I mean, that was sort of when he was... He would, this, this movie would have taken the entire duration of his marriage to Julia Roberts. <laughs> this is the era of giving that man things he shouldn't have had. That's why I'm picking it. <laughs> yeah. Lyle Lovett. I just think it's yeah. this strange... Yeah. I mean, you know, this part doesn't sound like sure. a major... Maybe there's a plot, a plot point that runs through this character, but mostly... I just think Lyle Lovett is just a guy who can show up in a movie it for a couple minutes. It also fits with the trend of putting musicians into weird James Bond henchman roles right. with Putter Smith from Diamonds Are Forever. Right. And Goldie, wasn't he a DJ or something? So, so has Chris Isaac already passed? Is that what oh. we're calling Lyle Lovett? Uh, was Goldie a musician from uh, The World Is Not Enough? 
the, he was a he's a uh, London hip hop guy. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Renee Zellweger would have been a good pick. Would have been girl, mm, anyway. Hmm. Junior high, probably. No, she's no, a I year was older high, than so Uma Thurman. Okay. Oh. Okay. Hmm. I'm wrong. Okay. Anyway, sorry to digress. Well, I like Lyle Lovett. I think that's great. I'm done. Lyle Lovett, it is. Okay. Who, who that hair. It's so unique. Yeah. Sir Henry Lee Ching. In his mid-30s, this half-Chinese-British computer genius entrepreneur has built his own large high-tech computer chip empire, supplying the world with industrial-grade chips, which are used in everything from factory robots through to missiles. Currently based in Hong Kong, his motivations are a mystery. By the way, if my reading seems stilted, it's because I'm making corrections on typos <laughs> as I go. So this sounds I mean, like a fellow yeah. who's got these microchips and everything sure. and everywhere, and then the minute he can just flip a switch and now chaos can ensue. That's, but that's half right. Chinese, half British, that's... I Pat Morita, done. <laughs> <laughs> not even right. close. Yeah. <laughs> what do you mean not even close? Uh, you know, I think getting a guy who's only really one of those would be sort of offensive. But if you, yeah. you go with uh, someone who's fully neither. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, frankly, st- sticking with the Hudson Hawk cast, I like Frank Stallone for this. I think he really wants it. I think he would. <laughs> That's crazy. I think he would come up. I don't. I don't. I like where your head's at, but it's yeah. crazy. Who okay. looks only mildly Asian in this time period? <laughs> Keanu Reeves, well, Tia Carrera. Oh, there Sir you go. Henry. Hey, <laughs> she's the no, that, There's good, your Bond girl. There's a good yeah. Bond girl, yeah. American Tia Carrera. But, you know, yeah. she was in True Lies, so right. they were they were thinking oh. the same thing. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say this, and I don't mean it. I love what, but I do. <laughs> Johnny Depp, Seagal. Oh, I was wondering when we were gonna get to him. Yeah. But is he in any way Asian, or he just dresses Asian? No, he is uh, like he has this whole made-up biography about having. Uh, but he's probably know, from like from the Japanese Rouge or something. Oh, he's God. from. I think he's from Michigan. I think he grew up in Michigan. Sure. Uh, you know, claims to have have studied in Japan. I, I think that's legit. I think mm. that's been verified. But he's but, above the law. Uh, yeah, you know, he's he's very hard to kill. This is also a time <laughs> a time when whitewashing was in no way a cultural problem. <laughs> it was, it was so feel free to cast the whitest person yes. in this role. By the way, this is, uh, wanna... Jonathan Price is in Miss Saigon at uh, in right. this era as uh, the that's Vietnamese. True. Is this your villain? Um, no, it's not. Is he? I'm not sure. Well, yeah. It sounds like the Cahoney brothers are the villains. But I think, is this wait, like no, no, wait, aren't the Cahoney brothers the heavies? Aren't the Cahoney yeah, brothers? They're, they're, they're the henchmen, right? They're the heavies. They're this doing... must be the villain then, this Henry okay. Ching. Yes. After witnessing the aftermath of a nuclear meltdown in, in China caused by Sir Henry, Bond must stop him at all costs before he launches many more attacks causing global pandemonium and sparking World War III. So mid thirties, uh, half Chinese, half British. To, oh, okay, not mid thirties. Do you think at this time they would not have cast someone white and put like prosthetic on his eyes? Would they? Mm, no. This is not long after Remo to? Williams. But would they have to uh, with Nicolas Cage? <laughs> what? <laughs> Don't you think Johnny Depp could pull that off? Uh, I, I think he would insist upon it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think this would, would be yeah, this. This would be like no, no, Sean Young, you know, barging onto the Warner's but, lot in her homemade Catwoman yeah, costume. It's funny to just, me. Just try the, it's funny to me to it. hear these yeah. descriptions because I feel like in the Bond movies that I've seen, you don't hear 
hey, that half Chinese, half British businessman with yeah. microchips is waiting for you, Mr. But Bond. it makes right. complete you sense. You just say, you know, like... No, but it makes yeah. total sense because you're going for... This is during... This is right around a few years before the Hong Kong transition where the power is going mm-hmm. from the British government to the right. sure, Chinese sure, sure. government. So I'm sure they want to play both sides of that. Also, because... a character who's torn. Dr. No was... What Wiseman, Joseph Chinese, Wiseman. half German, the character. Yes, but accepted by neither. Right. Mm. Yeah, the robot hands were German. Yes, very German. German. Steel. Very German. German steel. So this is a tough one. You know the guy who played? He was in Twenty One Jump Street. Richard was, Grieco. I think he was <laughs> Korean. No, but I'm listening. Uh, that guy kind of looks slightly. Maybe not. I don't know. How about Lou Diamond Phillips? Oh, I like go. that. I mean, nowhere near either of these. I know, but you're, when you're cares? like when you're trying yeah. to hit a mark that the is era unhittable, mm-hmm. we're casting in 1990. They had That's no right. sensitivity to that. All right. Okay, Doctor Ron Beardy. <laughs> Ron Beardy <laughs> as himself. <Right>. Okay. <laughs> and introducing Doctor Ron Beardy as himself. <laughs> Ching Lee's research assistant who advises him on the computer chip Bond is selling. So what were the what were the best beards uh, in cinema? In yeah, is he wearing a beard? I mean, is is Bond? Let's here, assume he is. Here's a stupid guy question <laughs> yeah. for the Bond experts: If a guy's name is Beardy, does he just have a big beard? Is it that on the nose? No, in this but franchise? because oh. they don't give us anything else, let's say that's the only requirement. This guy has to be known for, or at least have had a beard in something before that you've seen. Billy Gibbons. Who's that? <laughs> From ZZ Top. Oh, Jesus. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they, they probably make he a cameo in He also plays one of the uh, guitarists in Back to the Future. Back to the Future. Right. 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 I do have one in my head. Okay. He's probably too old here. Ron Silver. No. Okay. To be a lab assistant. To be a lab assistant. Oh, sure. To Johnny Depp, and you're going for someone. or Lou Diamond Phillips. <laughs> He's right. a research assistant. Uh, yeah, a research assistant. I want to go with the guy who played Ellis in Die Hard. Oh yeah. Oh man. What is his name? Uh, oh, yeah. this I've got Holt. It. Holt or something. Hart. Uh, Hart Bachner. Hart Bachner. Yeah. yeah. He's got a great beard. Oh man. Too. Yeah. Yeah. You would. Oh, love so to we see are going. Uh, we're going based on beard solely here. Yeah, I think so. I think it's important. Mm. So Jonathan Frakes. Yeah, I, was this beard era Frakes? I think this was pre-beard Frakes. Frakes' beard came in '88, season two. Come on, all right. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm still yeah. waiting to hit puberty myself, so I, I you know, I'm a little jealous. <laughs> Chris, do you have an option for this? <sighs> Research assistant. Yeah, yeah. This is a weird role. I mean, I guess it could be some nerdy youngling or something, but he's a doctor too. Mm. Could be one of those smart doctors, like a like a Doogie Howser type. Yeah, yeah. Christian Slater. That's <laughs> kind of great. Yeah, I think that's actually not a bad not a bad move. Uh, now it's taking me down the path of all the young guns. <laughs> well, I started this. Baltazar Getty. Right. Yeah. Kiefer Sutherland. It's going to be a really Alan good idea for, for a podcast where Alan you watch Ruck. all of the Young Guns films and I, discuss them in detail. I would do it. I love that second one. I really do. <laughs> Blaze of Glory. Yeah. Get uh, into Steel it. Horse I Ride. Uh, uh-huh. Okay. So are we going with Christian Slater or what? Well, 
I don't know. Pump up the volume was pretty successful. Yeah. This is uh, Heather's is uh, eighty nine. Mm-hmm. I think he's he's pretty hot. Yeah. We well, get him what we, what we can. isn't this character? This is maybe the moral compass here of this <laughs> <Yes>. laboratory. <laughs> yeah, I right. I like have this a guy has nefarious he, things with his microchips and his lab assistant <laughs> knows the truth. I have a feeling he's kind of like um, the guy oh. in License to Kill, Truman Lodge. You know that guy, Truman Lodge. Yeah, he, he's kind of a more like. Cares more of an idealist. I idea like loss, that guy. Sort of, I oh. like that guy, and I also. So this, this man is freighted by conscience. This fits the yeah. this fits the Bond franchise move. Granted, there wouldn't have been two movies between, but it is it is a thing they do, which is recast types types. Yeah, but I think you put him in that role. The same guy. Same guy. Wow. Ooh. Mm. Dye his hair. Mm. Mm. Are you listening, <laughs> Anthony Stark? Okay, next up, me, why? I don't know. A beautiful field Chinese intelligence services operative. So she must be the secondary Bond girl. I mean, is it Michelle Yeoh? Oh. Or Tia Carrera? It's got to be one. <laughs> Can't be both of them. I mean, yeah, it, like you know, we could have brought back Michelle Yeoh for Tomorrow Never Dies. Still, yeah, after after true, her, right. uh, I mean, she know. is a Hong Kong agent. She could have, right. She could have returned in the same role. Right. When was Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Uh, Two thousand. Hmm. Rebel in the Bronx. Would she have been too young for this? <laughs> no. No. Uh, in in ninety one, no way. No. She's, she's right in, right in the pocket. She's in the. She's in. She's in the. Bond zone. Okay. Should we go with that? Any? Yes. Uh, Michelle Yeoh, I love it. Any objections? Going once, twice. Whoopi Whoopi Gold. Oh, Whoopi no. <laughs> we got it in under the wire. We have uh, to consider it. We got to talk about yes. it. Mark, make your case. Uh, I don't want to. <laughs> Quen Lo. Me wise, immediate superior, who is section chief of Chinese intelligence service suspects the British may be planning to renege on a promise to hand back Hong Kong. I, I'm pretty sure that so that's this, why robots this is, are blowing up. The, the plot of Double Impact has a lot to do really? with the, the uh, governmental uh, transition of, of Hong Kong. <laughs> from right. 90, every time I've ever heard anything about this, this hypothetical third Dalton film, it, it sound awfully similar. to Other than the fact that it's about... Identical twins. <laughs> We're separated <laughs> at birth. <laughs> okay. I got it. Yeah. Chow Yun Fat. Mm. He would be in his forties. Okay. Oh boy. Yeah. And you'd be getting Late in 30s. on the ground floor America wise, right? Oh, right. Chow not really Fat. done yeah. any American right. films at that yeah. point. Because uh, John Woo doesn't come over for another three years. Agreed then. Okay, last one. Rodin. I always thought it was Yakuza, but here they keep saying Yakuza. I don't know. If you're in a triad, please email us. (laughs) A Yakuza assassin who is on Sir Henry's payroll and out to stop Bond and Connie at any cost. He is equipped with an array of high-tech weapons and gadgets that would make even Q envious. Hmm. Okay, so this guy's a badass... This is your James Bond counterpart. Japanese badass He's Japanese? Assassin. I'm assuming Yakuza, his name's Rodin. Um, 
Hmm. Hmm. It's not George Takei. Sorry. <laughs> I'm going Wesley Snipes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I would love to see Wesley Snipes as a... Just, but imagine, like, like you know, ninety-one. So this is uh, this is New Jack City. This yeah. is uh, um, well. In that case, I'm going Judd. What's his name? Nelson. Judd Nelson. Judd yeah. Nelson. <laughs> no, but just like imagine the the career. It seemed like Wesley Snipes was on the verge of mm-hmm. having at that time. It was like this guy was going to be yeah another De Niro or something, right? You know, he he looked like he could do anything, and he could maybe work for the Yakuza. He doesn't have to be Japanese. I uh, suppose that's right. But He's don't like, you is not that's that's why I'm going Brandon Lee oh. on, on this one. Yeah, I think yeah, you're so, right. You know, you want a you want a young, arrogant, yeah, uh, hotshot Andy Garcia in Godfather Three. Yes, of, agreed. Boy, that's good. It. Okay, Matt, do you have anything to throw in that ring? Well, I was thinking, but the, I mean, it's hard with the age situation. I'm trying to like really place it. I'm thinking, how old is he? Hang on. Perfect. Ken Watanabe. Oh, oh yes. Oh, man. Yeah, it's a great pick. This, this is finally making sense. That's a tough one. Brandon Lee, Ken Watanabe. What do we do? Wesley Snipes. <laughs> okay uh i haven't Snipes. chosen one i'm going bd wong no i'm just kidding he's, he's pretty young uh <laughs> just an, another dumb guy question for you <laughs> these films typically don't have stars like so top are, to bottom so are you right are you pulling from these other film markets thinking that that's where they would be getting their stars or would they be pulling well, yeah, I think they're films. in a unique situation here where they're trying to go for people that can act and be in the American market so they're probably going to go after stars of that genre mm-hmm. which Michelle Yeoh was when yeah. they cast Michelle yeah. Yeoh so I'm feeling like a Ken would be a would be a, would be a good move I'd be happy with and that if you want your accurate King and I actor. Well, that's that's gonna be good. <laughs> what? Instead of Jonathan Price. Oh, <laughs> oh, Miss Saigon. Miss the, the engineer Miss Saigon? Saigon. Yeah, I was oh, like, I I isn't he in the King we, and I? Is I like, oh, maybe. Yeah, you Brenner. Yeah, what's what's Yul Brenner doing here? <laughs> when did he Wait, die? Lou Diamond Phillips was in King and I. Oh, that's it. Okay, in the stage that's production. Right. So we got that. Oh, thank God. Ken Watanabe was in the King and I. Yes, really. Because and that's what I confused. Yeah, that's what I confused. Billy Gibbons was in the King and I. One of my wife's friends was in, in the chorus on Whoopi Broadway Goldberg recently was. with Ken Watanabe, and we were going to go surprise him after the show, and so we waited by the stage door. But he, didn't, our friend, didn't come out, but Ken Watanabe did, so we got his autograph and mm. a picture with him, only because we were there. <laughs> this is very wow. strange. How like, many people were waiting? We didn't go to the show. We didn't see it. We just were. How many people waiting. were waiting? How many people were waiting? Outside the uh, door. At least 100 people. That's amazing. Former guest of this show, Jeff Davis, was the son of Anna in the Yul Brenner Broadway production of King and I. That's right. When he was a kid. His last tour of it, when he was dying of cancer, I think. Yes, he told us a great Yul Brenner story, did he not? Uh, he may have. You'll have to go back and listen to that well, episode. Yeah, he also tells one when I was there, too, where he spanked a kid. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't his. Maybe that's well, where I heard it. It may have been. Yeah. That that used to be a Somehow that's yeah, the one yeah. episode of I Was There Too I listened that's to. That's the one. 
Uh, all right. Locations: oh. United Kingdom. Oh, wait a Scot- minute! You know, I got a. I'm oh, sorry yes. to interrupt here. I got, but we're we're shutting down the the henchman file now, right? We're fully cast because I, I, mean, I feel like like my one my one legitimate credential here that I that I have is that I I worked for a, a former Bond villain. I was Ricky Jay's personal assistant oh. for a year. So this is long after oh. Henry Gupta. Did you have to like organize his fucking to, cards or something? Uh, yeah, no, get- I, I did have to keep the files. Um, I was not privy to any tricks. Yeah, well, there's there's out a, to get thin-skinned watermelons. No, no, hey. that's a, he has. Uh, the, the, He's very good. No, I was like when the show was going on, I was you know handling guests and and stuff oh, like yeah, that. Yeah. I, was this uh, Deadwood era? Uh, this was, I think, this was after the first season of Deadwood. Um, he was a little bit less active, and, and in fact, right after I, I left and moved back east, he was immediately hired to work on The Prestige, which I would have loved to have been around that, you know, because he was their magic advisor and also had a small role. Um, And he was also advising on um, The Illusionist at that time, like the other period magic. That that was weird that they did two period magic films. It sure was, but that's that's such a cool mini-genre. I'll re-pitch it again. I do it every year. You just do one of those Illusionist Prestige era magic movies. The rival magicians are Will Ferrell and John C. Riley. Hmm. I'll pay you. What? So much money to make that movie. I swear, I That's feel it. like if they'd done that, but I'm thinking you're thinking of, of Burt Wonderstone. Yeah, which was <laughs> get it out of my face. Yeah. Anyway, it was long after Henry Gupta, but uh, I I just wanted. To was he a nice guy? Unmask myself. Yes, he treated me very well. He, he seems like seem much. nice. He doesn't uh, seem. Nice? I, I, don't I think he seems. I don't nice. have any horror stories, and I was I was not a good assistant. And uh. he, he was very very tolerant <laughs> of my incompetence. What do you mean you weren't a good assistant? I mean, I was a little you know a little disorganized, a little un, unreliable. I was I was not the the cool, calm, collected. You mixed up his dry cleaning that I am and... today. Uh, no, I, I'm actually I'm I'm feeling a little anxious now, recalling some of the, the stuff that. <laughs> oh, up. But, uh, no, he was uh, he he was more than more than reasonable. Would it be like would you embarrass him in front? of say david copperfield's assistant or never never did that james randy's assistant i uh so when um i went he took his show ricky jay and his 52 assistants to the studio theater in in washington dc and i said oh i'm i'm from that area you know let me go with you i'll i'll be useful sir like that that kid in dunkirk Mm -hmm. um he didn't necessarily need me there he had you know people doing everything but i was uh gonna be able to stay with my folks so i went along and uh, one of my jobs there was to invite people he knew or, or prominent people backstage after the show when they were in the audience. So one night, um, justice Breyer, Supreme court justice, Stephen oh Breyer was God. there with his wife. Um, you know, so I at like an intermission was like, Oh no, justice Breyer, you know, <laughs> Mr. J would be honored if you would join him after. And so, um, and I had started by this point to date the house manager at, uh, at studio theater. Nice. Um, <laughs> so, uh, I, back in the, the green room, I'm, I'm supposed to, you know, stick my head in every few minutes to see whether they're, sure. you know, whether I'm supposed to usher the people out or let them stay longer. Or, you know, there's a whole system of cues and, um, justice Breyer is asking, is asking Ricky how he developed this proficiency with uh, sleight of hand magic. And uh, he says, oh, you know, it's just practice. I was doing this forever. I was on Ed Sullivan when I was four years old. He's like, it's, you know, it's that old joke. How do you get to, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And I had one of those moments where, like, I thought I said something internally, but it turned out I spoke it out loud. He said, you know, one of those things, how do you get to Carnegie Hall? And I said, sleep with the house manager. <laughs> and then I realized I'd said it out loud and I thought I was fired. 
But then I looked up and Ricky was laughing and the Supreme Court justice was laughing. Only his wife looked a little uncertain about what I said. So, uh, well, how do you think she got with the justice of the uh, Supreme uh, Court? Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, clerk for, I don't know. Um, so I, I, did, I did remain employed after that day. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> cash and checks story. from Henry Gupta. That's, That's a great, great story. He invented techno-terrorism. <laughs> he did. So do you appreciate Tomorrow Never Dies or do you look at it as though you're You know, I always like... I, I always thought I was more of a partisan for it. I, I gotta say, you know, you, you guys have had a lot of influence on how I regard these films. I mean, I was a fan long before your podcast started and I, mm-hmm. I saw all the Brosnan ones as they came out and I always liked him, but... I have retroactively downgraded my opinion as a result of... Oh, of, so uh, this podcast doesn't have influence. Matt Gorley has influence. No, it does. But I got it. Like, I, I mean, yeah. I, I distinctly remember seeing Tomorrow Never Dies a second time in the theater. So yes. I must have appreciated it. But uh, it, on my most recent revisit, it, it was a little rough. Yeah, I think that's my I don't point. follow that. I yeah. really don't. Well, I think it's the greatest movie to come out in 1997. I think Titanic robbed it. Yeah, you didn't see Starship Troopers. All of it. <laughs> didn't see I, Face you know, Off. I've never seen. You didn't Starship see Troopers. L.A. Confidential. No, uh, well, that was pretty good. But that was pretty good. Yeah. Did it have Pierce Brosnan in it? No, didn't need it. I do like that scene when when. Russell Crowe breaks the chair in the interrogation room oh, and then runs I, in. I was vaguely aware of him, and I had never seen Guy Pierce before. That was that was a yeah, Guy Pierce, by the way, history is forgotten. Should have been Batman. I, he should have been Batman. You don't think he's a little too sinewy for Batman? I think the jaw on that man, yeah, belongs in a cowl. Well, I can mean, you get him in a Bond film? I'll see what I can do. If if hmm. Batman is doing I'm acrobatics and martial arts, he shouldn't be burly. He right. should be wiry. Yeah. yeah. Okay. But I think, uh, you know, uh, yes. Anyway. Yeah, but his superpower is he's rich. <laughs> <laughs> he's also a straw William. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Locations. United Kingdom, Scotland, London, Japan, Tokyo, Hong Kong, and Central China. You listed London and the United <laughs> Kingdom. There, I'm, so. I'm writing what they've got here. Isthmus. Vehicles. Aston Martin DB5. Twin ejector seats. What? The driver's side and the passenger side? Yeah. Oh, it didn't go. Hang on. Uh, oh, I fucked it up. Oh, if you broken. if you could only see the uh, defective broken. air horn iPhone app. That was a sad trombone. <laughs> Rear wow. bulletproof shield, mines, flares, a Lamborghini. Oh shit! A stealth car. Mm. <laughs> Heat-seeking missiles, machine guns, infrared tracking system, and a motorcycle with front-mounted missile launcher. Oh, I love it. That probably belongs to one of the fat twins. Isn't that in... Uh, <laughs> isn't there a... That, that goes way back to Thunderball. Yeah, yeah that's a... Uh, I have well to say, worn. this movie so far does not sound great. You know, like a stealth car? No. Mm. I don't think it's no, going to be a That's an idea they want to hold invisible. on to. Yeah, they I think it's going to be a stealth car. Still. They had a uh-huh. stealth boat in Tomorrow Never Dies. Look where that got it. <laughs> Gadgets. <laughs> a high-tech helmet with a heads-up display. Yeah, because you always think of James Bond in a helmet. <laughs> yeah. H- I goes- wanted it to be one of those old leather helmets with no face oh, mask yeah. or anything. Heads-up display that has several views, heat sensing, night vision, and more. So Terminator. Oh, get, get this. <laughs> Nan, a female robot assassin. This movie. Was no, wait, hang blow. on. Is she a female robot that is an assassin, or is she a female that kills robots? Yeah. 
No, she. I think she's a robot because they talk about... An assassin about of robots, robots like Sarah in this. Yeah. Mm. And how humanoid do you think they'd make the robot? If they're going to... I mean, if this is James Bond and they've got a, like literally an android in this movie, that's it. Mm. That's too much. Yeah. And and it's this, you know, this is 1991, so robots still looked like Johnny Five. I'll right? bet you they are. Or, like, or not. They're probably pulling on... I know dot Terminator ma- 2 hadn't come out, but I wonder if they are kind of like... Doing they're, a they're T-1000 dot matrix of, from Spaceballs. Or <laughs> right. Vicky from Small Wonder. Well, she's a voice input child identicate. Law enforcement <laughs> division. <laughs> Boy. All right. Let's, let's get on to this synopsis. Right? I don't know that we need to now that, that we've discovered there's a female robot. You're assassin. listening to Small Wondering. All right, you guys talking. I'll let you know if there's anything important that has to come out here. I think there's so much wrong with this movie, and I can see why it was yeah. in development hell. However, it, he dodged a bullet. I, I think, think they were wise to get out of the way of double impact. <laughs> Do you think that that had any actual bearing on their plans? Mm. I mean, I think Double Impact actually, like, they shot a bunch in Hong Kong. Well, it probably uh, was on their radar, because uh, JCVD at the time, just, mm, just a yeah, terrific I mean, like, You know, I don't think he ever, like, even, even Seagal, like, had a brief moment as an A-lister, and I don't think Van Damme ever, ever quite got there. Quite got there. Well, even though his movies came out theatrically longer yeah. than Seagal's did. Here's a, not a dumb Bond man question for yeah. you again. This seems highly derivative of everything else going on in film. <laughs> That's that is, so, a is that a signature is that trait a, of yeah, one. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. 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 Absolutely. And when when they do veer like go in do they ever steer away from it? Or do they always kind of lean into the tropes of the day? Well, they because don't, if they do, do those movies are those movies good? Or are those movies the bad ones when they're leaning into what's already going oh, on as opposed question. to innovating? Yeah. I mean, my treatment for the movie where Bond and M wake up and they realize they've switched bodies and hijinks ensue was <laughs> not well received. I heard it was. I would watch Barbara that with Broccoli, Judy Dench and uh, Daniel Craig. I would watch that. <laughs> I've, I want to watch it now. When did that? I think. This because this literally the, feels like well, hey, there's there's robots in this other movie. We better put is, them in our movie. It is, and that's one hundred percent what they do. In the except Bond, right? in the beginning, except they twins, created they this really created the action blockbuster genre with Doctor No, Russia with Love, Goldfinger, Thunderball, yeah. You Only Live Twice, and then I think. I think Honor Majesty's Secret Service was doing its own thing, but by the time you get to Die Another Day, it starts to feel like an American gritty 70s action movie, camp action movie. And then especially Live and Let Die, you're doing a black exploitation film. And then from that point on, they're pretty much stealing almost every movie. Right. And then if they're not stealing from another movie, they're stealing from themselves, like View to a Kill or Spy Who Loved Me. Well, well I, th- I think part of the problem is they... they they so often use the same writers over and over again yeah. that it just sort of ended up becoming a, a a sitcom room where they're like, oh, fuck, what are we going to put him in this time? Yeah, it's, it's uh, a this. miracle in hindsight that Casino Royale worked as amazingly well as it did, considering you've got the you know the same old writers again. You've got yeah. Martin Campbell back yeah. for yeah. a second and time. And they're stealing but... heavily from Bourne in terms of yeah. style, I think. I, I mean, I feel like that's a bit... 
I do agree with but, your uh, statement that I, it is I, a bit overstated. But yeah. don't you think they're stealing from its success? Is what I mean. Like they're yeah, saying, I mean, like, I, yeah, I, you're I free see, to do this. I, now. I see more of the influence in um, Quantum of Solace than yeah. than in Casino Royale. Yeah, I don't mean in direction because I think that's the. That's where Casino Royale, I even think, goes above the Bourne movies. Is that? You, oh, I think so too. And I, I actually, it's it's an interesting question to me. Like, why the the stunt stuff, the hand to hand stuff, is is not as sharp, even in like Skyfall, as it is in uh, in, in Casino Royale. Um, I mean, I feel, I feel like it's it, the, the Mission Impossible movies are kind of the leader on that at the moment. I feel like they're the they're newer doing ones, the, the best. I agree. Yeah, yeah. The, they're like um, great Roger Moore movies. And I, I don't think there've been any after three. Really? That's when they get good. Yeah, Ghost Protocol and Rogue Nation are. Fan. I think those really are the two best. Really yeah, Hold I've on. been hearing that. Up. Oh. We come in and be like, "Oh, you guys are talking about this." It's uh, I'm trying to get leave. back <laughs> It's Margot, everyone. Margot, what are your thoughts on James Bond? This is Margot the Fat Guy's gun barrel entrance. Four hours into the episode. <laughs> what do you think about James Bond? This is par. How do you think Blofeld got that cat to sit so still? It didn't. Have you seen that gif of, <laughs> of it freaking out? There is one shot in the movie where the cat is just absolutely going crazy. <laughs> I think that what I'm realizing is that we're we should be grateful we never got this movie. Sounds mm-hmm. like it. Well, because if you think about the 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 downward trend that License to Kill Living Days and License to Kill were on box office wise, mm-hmm. and if this movie had come out and it had done poorly, let's say they got it in under the wire, and then the legal stuff was was pushed a little bit with the sale of MGM, I feel like it could have been. It could have meant the end of the franchise. Oof. Well, Dalton predicted that, didn't he? Did this, he? this is long before he officially quit. I thought he, he said that uh, shortly after License to Kill that he thought it was coming to an end, and he took pains to specify that he didn't mean his tenure. He meant the entire series. And I think it could have. I, I mean, had you gotten a James Bond movie with Stealth Car and, and Robot Assassins, but you kind of do in Die Another Day. There's an invisible car and that a robot. A pile of garbage. I know. <laughs> Where's it, the robot? <laughs> well, there's that like, like, con, con, like programmable laser it's thing. A, you know? Yeah, but it's basically oh, like a, that's basically like an assembly a, line yeah, robot. Right? But what yeah, I'm saying nothing. is like, if Die Another Day didn't kill the franchise, what would? It nearly did. Die Another mm. Day. It did pretty well, I think. No, it that's did, a, no. It, I mean, it did. It did real well. Yeah, yeah but. It killed James Bond, as far as I'm concerned. Pierce Brosnan's no longer in it. Why am I even watching it anymore? So, but would they have had the means to? Uh, it was it? I, I, it was Vin Diesel and Triple X who uh, declared his intention to That's to kill true. James Bond. Good luck, buddy. I, I haven't seen that movie. But, uh, hmm. I didn't see the new Triple X. Did you? Yeah, I did. Oh, I'm sorry about that, buddy. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think I think it's good that this didn't come out. Oh, I think it's definitely good that this didn't what come about, out. I would have I, loved to have seen another Dalton done well. Yeah. So what, let's end on that. What would be a good... First of all, who would have directed this? And well, then I like Mark's questions, and he had one. <laughs> Thanks, Matt. <laughs> what no, would I, look at this. Look at this guy. What He's, in this giant pile of 
just stuff thrown at the wall to see what sticks would have been the hang-up that an executive at the studio would have been like, yeah, that's we're not doing this because there's a there's a motorcycle with missiles on it. Yeah, that's. I, I think probably the what suggestion that that there are microchips and everything would have been too much. But I don't think I think this would have been fine. They would have gone like they would have just lit. really. Yeah, because this is no crazier than some of the other shit they've done. All right, but I don't think it would have been good. I think no. I think once you're entering the world of robots. Like you're Did entering, you, you're entering a reality that is so skewed. This is like Moonraker, and also like contextually, historically at the time, the the idea that some genius could have built these robots that do all these things was more plausible, right? Like, do you know what I'm saying? The, be, because it was it it delves into science fiction. It is possible. Matt, in this I take world. back what I said about Mark's questions. <laughs> I tried to tell you. <laughs> I have well, like some weird genius builds these assassin robots. Well, I, I guess my but question robots, is, yeah. what is the aesthetic of them? I need to know if they're utilitarian looking or if they're fucking looking exactly like human beings. They look like shit. I'm sure they look like <laughs> shit. But it's 1991. I know, but they look like shit. What I mean, I guess, is like, are they know. gonna walk around like a Terminator? Here's one where you can't. Yeah, gadget Nan, a female look like those robot 70s assassin. Battlestar Galactica Cylons. They're gonna be all clunky. That kind of a female robot assassin lights. implies that there would be a female playing a that female role. form. Yeah, you so know, we're so already having a gender yeah. situation. <laughs> yeah, unless it's like Johnny Five with boobs. I don't. I my brain can't get Wait there. Wait a minute. All right. I know who plays Nan. Who? Whoopi Goldberg. <laughs> <laughs> that would be so weird to have a Bond movie with robot assassins. Joanna like, Cassidy. You know, the, yeah. the she Bond? was on a Kick Murder Squad. Yeah. What the, What better credential is there? The so, Bond movies exist in a world that I always think of as uh, eight months in the future. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, whenever you're watching a Bond movie, you're like, oh, this is right. eight months from now. Well, They're they start shooting it, out. it's coming out in eight months, because yeah. they don't give themselves a lot of time. <laughs> um, so, you know, you're, 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 the tech of it all is usually a pretty easy buy, where, usually, I mean, I think the only point where I just, where we all just were like, oh, God, was the invisible car in Die Another Day. Which they, ha- I mean, there is some, there is something to the way the technology is described. It will project images on the other side of the that it sees on the other side of the the, the car. But it just that that was that was the step too far for the franchise as far as the tech was concerned for me. So it's hard for me to imagine a James Bond movie that is five movies before that, ten a decade before that, that has robot assassins. Now, I get that in Moonraker, they go to space and they have lasers, but it's based on a space shuttle. Well, okay, I'll sort of buy that. And these laser weapons are ridiculous, mm. but somehow viable in my head. Yeah, and, and the space shuttle had not flown when Moonraker yeah, yeah, came. I mean, yeah. it had been flown in the atmosphere, but it hadn't gone into space, so people knew what it looked like. But it looked like the Enterprise. <laughs> That's what it was. Oh. Mm-hmm. So who would direct this film? I have two names. Okay. 
and uh, I don't think I don't think Cubby would go for either of them because I I don't think and I and I don't think uh, Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson, no matter what they say now, like I don't think we're ever going to get a Chris Nolan or a Tarantino and stuff because I think they want somebody pliant ultimately, uh-huh. right? They're never going to give so anybody final So it's the Kathleen cut. Kennedy of it all. Yeah, and and I you know I w- I would love 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 to uh, hear about how Sam Mendes ended up in this because that must have been a hell of a negotiation. I think they uh, might get Nolan at some point really? because he is enough. Yeah, but uh, but you and would but remain he's true to it. But he's going to have final cut on the movie if he right. does it, right? And I I can't imagine that that's part of the deal that your huh, yeah. Roger Spottiswoods and <laughs> no, you know, Lee Tamahori did your not John Glenn's final cut. get. Um, but in 1991, uh, we, you know, we're 26 years in the past, and uh, we've yet now in 2017, eight months. And, and some years in the future have not had a, a woman direct a Bond film yet. Mm-hmm. So I think you get Catherine Bigelow coming off of Blue Steel, coming off of Near Dark. Uh, oh, I, would, wow. I would mourn the loss of Point Break because I really love Point Break. Yeah, me too. But um, this would have been something. This would have been something. Uh, that would have been a fast... This movie with her direction. Yeah. I'm trying to imagine what that would be. See, like. my my other one is John McTiernan because he's yeah. he's right in his glory at this point. He's a he's in between two projects with Sean Connery. Help us uh, help us get McTiernan out of prison. That's, that's our goal. That's on right. This no, that's that's the only reason I'm here is to appeal. To <laughs> is he still in prison? <laughs> he's still in prison. I, is he? Yes. I thought he got. Oh, okay. I thought he well, was out too. Right. He I mean, would have been great in this era for a Bond movie. It well. really seemed in 1991 like he was the Wesley Snipes of directors. <laughs> there was nothing he could not do. Yeah. His career would be on the ascent forever. Yeah. Uh, okay. Those are both great Thank choices. The, thought, the name that popped in my head today, this afternoon, when I was reading this stuff at lunch, was uh, Tony Scott. Oh yeah, I mean, I think he would have been that's, likely. That's but the person they coming, would go coming with. off of Days of Thunder. Yeah, uh, he is one of my not one of my favorites. It's sort of interesting that he got real experimental late in his career. Yeah, and like a lot of those movies don't work, but they're they're ambitious and strange, which most people who get to that level commercially don't right become as yeah. uh, as wacky. The Bond movies need to toe a careful line between the fantastic and the real. And I feel like Tony Scott handles the fantastic well, but his real always is melodrama. And I, I think Bond is at its weakest when it plays with yes, melodrama. But it is a, it, is a consistent weakness. Do you know what I mean? It's very consistent. His yeah. movies are, you can see him a mile away. No, I mean in the Bond franchise, the way that they handle melodrama, when they handle it, I, I never think it's great until we get. You know, there's there's exceptions for each Bond, but I think for the most part, when they're doing it, it's I just like go, oh boy. But I don't think Bond tends toward melodrama that often. And I think maybe that's my problem with the Brosnan era is that's when I feel like it has its heaviest occurrence of handsomeness. <laughs> that's true, <laughs> but also melodrama. Sure, yeah. Uh, um. I also want to point out that John McTiernan made the 99 Thomas Crown Affair, which you, you mentioned yes, earlier, but that right. movie is great. And it's got your Rene Russo in it. Yeah. It's, got, it's got something for everybody. And I think yeah. he brings something out of Brosnan that's lacking in the I Bond agree. movies. Yeah. yeah, He's great in um, The Tailor of Panama soon that, after that, too. I, that's on my list to watch. Throwing, I'm going through I'm all the Le Carre movies. My, 
my desire for Tony Scott. It's gone. Okay. I was just convinced by this 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 Man. this resume that was just dropped in front of me. Pretty great. And that's that's where it ends for it. Like I don't think he ever had I mean, I don't remember if that movie was a hit or not, but like I think that's the end of the the era of of grade A McTiernan. Yeah. Ninety nine. Let's wrap it up with what you would like to have seen in a third Dalton movie. Where would it go? And what would be the basic idea would have been around let's say it's 1991 to 93 so okay it starts with him bringing a new leg to felix <laughs> <laughs> i want to pick up yeah close to where we left a can of that shark repellent signed by adam west uh so he brings a new leg to felix and while he's there he gets uh he gets a talking to from the FBI agent with the Jerry curls. Not he, Agent Johnson, Agent yeah. Johnson. Agent yeah. Johnson. Right. And uh, he's like, listen, I'm sorry I was so hard on you. You really did it. You really helped us out a lot. We got another big guy for you to take down. And he hands him a dossier from the FBI. So then all of a sudden, James Bond is working for us. Hmm. And then it's your full-blown American James Bond movie with Timothy Dalton in New York. Oh, boy. <laughs> what's, what's going on in the world? In Financial 91? crisis, okay. you know? Well the, well, the wall comes down at the end of 91. There we go. Right? So. There we go, and it's still got some remnants of the yeah. Cold War. Yeah. I mean, if you want to make a probably. Did did you guys see Atomic Blonde this year? No. No. Because that was set in Berlin in 89, and they really did not do enough with that. Yeah. Sorry. They should have they should have told I would us like that. that. I would like that. There's I something would have been more inclined that. to see it if it, they were, I was, if I was told it was set in 1989. What if there's something where like the wall's coming down but a new wall is coming down. <laughs> <laughs> there's something where Death Star 2 is being built in oh, the middle okay. of the something Berlin. underground <laughs> happening that if Bond doesn't fix it like all the relation, like the Cold War, could start up all over again, or something like that. I don't know. What if he has to? He's forced to escort David Hasselhoff to okay. the wall. No, I need you to be serious oh. here. <laughs> well, I was in my American James Bond pitch. We would never be so lucky to get David Hasselhoff in a Bond film. <laughs> um, yeah, I just don't know what the socio-political. I mean, it's it always has to be a nuke, right? Mm, yeah. It always has to be a news. Maybe still, someone's threatening. Is this still Thatcher's England in uh, ninety-one? Ninety. Maybe. Look, it's, this is impossible. Let to me verify, throw out my so idea. I want to hear Mark's idea. I just want the guy in snow. I yeah. want snow. Fights. Dalton in snow. I want we get skis, a little bit. I want ball. shooting and right. snow. So, and we get him to Canada. Nineteen ninety was oh, her last 90. year as okay. Prime Minister. Get him to Canada, and he brings his uh, oh, there's cello a scene case. of him so. playing hockey for some reason. Oh, that sounds very Wayne's World. I'm into that. Yeah, I mean, I... well, if Thatcher, if Thatcher's reign, quote unquote, for lack of a better term, ends in 1990, don't you have some political intrigue to deal with? Mm. The aftermath of her. Yes, it's a it's a palace melodrama about. 
Thatcher's ambitious underlings vying to succeed. <laughs> I don't know. I like the Hong, I like the Hong Kong. You want to be the PM, it, you got to kill the PM. When's the last yeah. time that the James Bond franchise had gone to the Far East? Was it Man with a Golden Gun? Like Prior as, to this? Yeah, as a as a like sub like substantive part of the movie. Yes. Didn't, well, he's in he's in India. In India, the, yeah. In, we're, well, we're going Far East. Okay. I guess that's it, huh? So it had been a while. I mean, I think it's a great... I, I like the story if we don't have robot assassins. Mm. If we do have someone sabotaging this new Minister of Defense, right. and we do have some sort of corrupt microchip guy... But now aren't we just <laughs> watching The Kingsman? <laughs> oh, boy. Honestly, isn't that the plot of the Kingsman? Everyone has a mobile phone, and then the chip in the phone basically you know, yeah. gets yeah. switched on, yeah. and now the we're phones all, are all weaponized. we're all rage beasts. Yeah. John Major was the Prime Minister. Good name. He was the guy without lips. Yeah. <laughs> they had the technology. They could be good. as they call there it. There it is. Well, I think that's our Dalton movie. <laughs> the guy without lips. John Major. The man is, without lips. Is, it, you know, it's a it's a Manchurian candidate thing where the Prime Minister of England is actually uh, a robot. Yeah. Assassin. Yeah. No. He's a, a robot assassin. Guys. 007, you must find the Prime Minister's lips. They're located somewhere. Oh, boy. But see, now, now we're going to spoil a big part of Mission Impossible Rogue Nation for, for Matt Myra over here. Oh, boy. Because here it goes. It, it reaches the highest levels of the British government, Matt. That's okay. all I'll tell you. All right. All right. Well, do they find the lips in your version? In the yeah. <laughs> Where are they? Canada. Oh. And Australia. One lips in Canada. One's in Australia. <laughs> it's just the upper lip. <laughs> it's in the freezing We're never cold, find and a it's a stiff Honey upper penny, lip. Get me on a plane to Australia. Do you mean Australia? Oh boy. <laughs> oh. Well. Chris, Mark, you guys really brought it. Thanks, Matt. <laughs> Chris, you came prepared with copious notes and information. Mark, I... you came prepared with an outsider's joie de vivre. What was on the notes? <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, he probably got the... Well, he did have great ideas. Well, I, 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 do have, I do have your home address written down, so I'm not going to read that out. <laughs> um. Uh, I can give out the address of the Comfort Inn at Eagle Rock. Very <laughs> uh, well, we all know Matt's <laughs> address is 007 Gorley Way. That's right. It's 555-5555, Universal Export Way. <laughs> well, if you haven't yet gotten a Kananga Balloon or Pigeon Double Take t-shirt at podswag.com slash bond, You're go there now because they're going fast. You're almost out of luck. Can I get a balloon sold out, you said? I think smalls are left. Great. Can I have two? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's Wait. 1052. Great. Yeah. I think we did so, a good so job, everybody. So that means intermission? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Interval? <laughs> anything else, Matt? Do you need to cover anything? No, I think we did a great job. We'll, we'll be back. Chris, where can people find you? Tell us what you're up to. Uh, so I archive all my movie reviews and other things at uh, for for NPR and all the other places I'm I'm writing for at chrisklimek.com. I am on Twitter at c t k l i m e k. Mark, I'm at Mark McConville on Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to find me on Facebook, go ahead. 
I probably won't look at it. Well, thank you guys very much. Oh, this was a big thrill. Thank you for, for letting me do it. Love you. James Bonding <laughs> will return. Return. Skyfall. Oh, that's right. Skyfall's next. Fire up your Skyfall engines, everyone. Bye. James Bonding Podcast. The holidays are coming up fast, and if you are having trouble deciding what to get your loved ones, give the gift of a Pod Swag gift card. It's the perfect thing for any of the podcast lovers in your life. You don't have to worry about getting their size right or accidentally getting them something they already have. Instead, let them choose. And now, for the entire month of November, get 20% off your gift card purchase when you go to podswag.com and use the code giftcard20 at checkout. That's podswag.com. Offer code giftcard20 for 20% off your purchase of a gift card. It's a fun way to save 20% off sweet t-shirts like Kananga Balloon. That's right. Or you know what? I'll shill for the other side. Pigeon Double Take. We're all in this together, kids. Go to podswag.com. Use the gift card, the gift card code, giftcard20. 20% off. Gotta go. We're all in this together, kids, but only for James Bonnick. Don't buy yeah. anything else. I mean, you don't really need another Comedy Bang Bang shirt. You could use an I Was There Too mug. <laughs> <laughs> or a James Bonding poster. Well, that's right. They're coming soon, if not already, depending on when you listen to this, future boy. Hey, this is Arnie Niekamp from the Improv Fantasy Podcast, Hello from the Magic Tavern. I fell through a dimensional portal behind a Burger King in Chicago into the magical land of Foon, and I started a podcast. Season 3 has just begun with a brand new adventure to defeat the Dark Lord. If you're a new listener or you've fallen behind, Season 3 is a great jumping on point, and we've got great guests like Justin McElroy. I sound like a fancy college professor. Eight nuts. <laughs> Rachel Bloom. You all see my collection of men corpses and one woman. Felicia Day and Colton Dunn. You've seen me have intercourse with a variety of species. It's a bummer. Andy Daly. You have the members of Genesis listed, but Phil Collins has crossed out and then circled and crossed out again. Uh, Yes, I have killed Phil Collins twice. Thomas Middleditch. (laughs) Jesus. I mean, Jazos. (laughs) Ruler of the Eighth Circle. And that's just the beginning. Season three of Hello from the Magic Tavern is out now. Listen in Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.